Lazy Person's Book Club presents... You can blame it on the season, blame it on the weather, oh, blame it for no reason, on a feather... Blame it on Hoboken! It's the funny, music-fueled, modern love story with a touch of mystery set in Frank Sinatra's hometown. You can blame it on the game, blame it on the battle, oh, blame it on my name. Today's episode, Alone, brought to you by... Funny, smart, all heart, no jive. Fiction songs and voiceovers from Sharon Glassman Live. Right, it's me. This episode's brought to you by me, Sharon Glassman of Sharon Glassman Live. Find out more about what I do at SharonGlassmanLive.com. Magic kicks off Saturday night when your ferry pulls in from Brooklyn Heights. The gang planks down, the love bug bites, all the skyline spells forever as long as we're together. Previously on Blame It on Hoboken, New York City tour guide Carolyn Cates has been using Euclid's proof of perfect numbers to try to find true love on a deadline. She's hired a pushy matchmaker named Jimmy Foss from a Hoboken Sinatra impersonators club who's helped her find the most normal guy in New York, Ned Allen. Now she and Ned are getting married tomorrow and we join Carolyn alone in her Greenwich Village apartment on her last afternoon before her last night as a single woman. It was late on the afternoon on the day before Carolyn's wedding. She felt relieved and excited and nervous and baffled. She and Ned were getting married in the morning. It was a very big deal, a huge deal, and she would have felt better if she had a huge list of last-minute tasks to do between now and then, things like sew a button, buy a button. But Carolyn had done everything she could imagine that a bride should do. She'd laid out her wedding shoes, she'd polished her nails, that seemed like a very bridey thing to do, with clear nail polish because, yes, she was getting married, but she was still herself at heart and nail. And she still had an afternoon to spare. So Carolyn took the equivalent of a busman's holiday and led herself on a tour of her three favorite sites in the city. It would be her last time seeing them as a single woman. What did that mean? She wasn't sure, but this was no time to worry. (sighs) Who was she kidding? Carolyn was worried. Who wouldn't be? And part of that worry was related to the places she loved most. She rode the subway uptown to the whispering benches. She took her favorite seat on the bench at the less traveled end of the park and leaned her head against its scrolled stone arm. The bench across the park was empty, but she could hear the sound of traffic traveling down the avenue across the lawn and the boom boom of a bass enhanced car stereo pulsing loudly and then fading away. Carolyn reached into the tiny gap between the arm of the bench and its seat and pulled out the photograph of Jimmy Foss that she'd left there. It was the photograph his sister Maureen had given her, the one of Jimmy as a Boy Scout with a smart, alecky smile on his face and a bruise on his nose that spoke volumes. It had been a long shot to hope that Jimmy would return to the whispering benches. A hope based on what? Nostalgia? The wisdom of a calmer mind? The generosity of a forgiving spirit? You, Jimmy Foss, are a very stubborn person, Carolyn told the little boy in the photograph. Is that so, toots? She imagined young Jimmy replying, ten years old, yet tough as nails. Her next stop was the Broken Sea. She had taped another photograph of Jimmy inside the door that led to the school of sea glass fish that hung from the trees beneath the highway. She wasn't surprised to see it was still there, but she hadn't lost the game. Not yet. 
Carolyn's final stop was Enid Hobbs' grave. Jimmy hated this place, but who was to say that he wouldn't stop by? Carolyn found the third photograph she'd left for Jimmy, tucked between the base of Enid's gravestone and the metal shard that lit the heart of stone across the way each day in the architect's window. This did not look like a good sign. But Carolyn was an optimist, and she wasn't ready to give up on Jimmy Foss. Not yet. See you tomorrow, she said, and left the photograph of Jimmy wedged in its not-so-secret hiding place. And having done all those things, Carolyn went back home to her apartment. Ned's office mates were taking him out for a bachelor party that evening. Aggie had offered to throw Carolyn a bachelorette party. We could go bowling or grab some Chinese food. Something fun, but not too fussy. I appreciate that, Ags, especially the unfussy part. But what I could really use is a night at home. And so Aggie made a few calls. Little Hans and Miss Chupesky would be spending the night at Miss Chupesky's apartment in Queens. The Allens had offered Carolyn's parents their guest room. And now her wish had come true. Carolyn was alone in her apartment, alone quite possibly for the last time in her life. What did one do at such a momentous time? Carolyn put a pot of soup on the stove, turned on the radio and pulled Euclid's proof of perfect numbers from her high school yearbook. The soup was chicken noodle, the radio was playing top 40 hits, and the proof was as clear to her as ever. She had followed its recipe. Time, with an I, was its secret ingredient. The soup was bubbling. Carolyn tucked the proof back into the yearbook and tucked the yearbook between the cookbooks on her kitchen shelf. She pulled a bowl from the cupboard over the sink and a spoon from the dish rack. And then she enjoyed her dinner standing up in the kitchen. She hadn't planned to. She just forgot to sit down. Her kitchen clock ticked out the seconds in the background. Time was moving very slowly, she thought, but the clock kept racing ahead. One minute it was seven o'clock, and seemingly a minute later, it was midnight. Carolyn washed her dishes in the kitchen sink, brushed her teeth in the bathroom sink, and went to bed. She was alone except for her wedding dress, which was hanging on the closet door. Beltram, the designer, had enclosed a handwritten note inside the garment bag. Wishing you and your family yards of well-deserved happiness. B of B. Carolyn sighed a miracle sigh as she lay on her bed. She closed her eyes and began to dream. She was sailing home to New York City on an old sailing ship. The sky was dark. The wind was fierce. But the sea beneath the boat was calm. Good work, sir, a sailor said. Carolyn was the ship's captain, charting a course to safety with three arrows in her hand. This episode of Sharon Glassman's Novel with Songs, Blame It on Hoboken, available at SharonGlassmanLive.com. Today's episode features, in alphabetical order, Nina Raleigh as Aggie, Connor Magyar as the announcer, and Sharon Glassman as Carolyn and the narrator. As long as we're together, you can blame it on the fish, blame it on the ocean, oh, blame it on this kiss. If you
The songs of Blame It on Hoboken are written by Sharon Glassman and produced by Eric Tureen. Join us next week, same time, same location, for another music-filled episode of Blame It on Hoboken. Blame It on Hoboken comes to you from Studio 2B or Not 2B in Longmont, Colorado, and is syndicated on the Longmont Compass.